Uh, that's me trying to beatbox because today's guest is beatboxer Patrick Watley. Had him on here. We had a great conversation, had a good time, and such a great guy to talk to, such a great guy to, to in general, just get to know. After a conversation, we went over and got ourselves some Foster Freeze, and uh, talking to him, you re- really realize that this guy is important to the community here because this is the kind of guy that wants to do action and just wants to do stuff that's that's so infectious that you're like, yes, let's go do things. Let's let's make this community of artists, you know, bigger, better, badder, and badder in the sense of cooler, you know, not like make it worse. Um, and this guy is an amazing beatboxer, you know, he, uh, he, he beatboxes somewhere in the end and it's very interesting. It's very interesting to, to, to listen about his musical background. And once you listen to his story, you, you'll truly see that there's a spark of genius in him. So look forward to our conversation. I just got to remind you all to follow GMS podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am active in all those three things. So please show me some love and uh, shout out JMS Podcast and all that jazz. If you need to email me, uh, just email jmspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget that I I do advertise local um, events. That's right, local events. So if you have an upcoming event that's local, whether it's local music, whether it's local comedy, whether it's local poetry, or in general a local art gallery, Shoot me a message and I'll make your shout out here, you know, and give it out to the JMS podcast listeners. All right, let's go. Uh, let's go have a chat with Patrick Watley. kind of lose a bit of the magic yeah you know like i think being spontaneous is part of it all i think so too yeah. you know you as a performer like i'm pretty sure you, you can relate to that oh definitely you have to be you have to act on the fly and everything like that just because who was it's it forced uh, i was watching this thing are you familiar with buster keaton yeah i like buster keaton yeah, that guy's the man old timey but I, I heard somewhere that he actually um he only writes like you know he has gags mm-hmm. like visual gags jokes. Yeah. He only comes with like fifty percent of it, and he allows the other fifty to come to him on set. Oh, so like improv, just on the spot on the floor. exactly. That's cool. I love that. And he, and a, a lot of like the the like amazing stunts we see him do are like for one takes. Oh really? Be- because of it. That. That's all. So it's just like the inspiration hit him and just went with it. Yeah, and there's something to be said about that. You know, there's something to be said about just having a. A bit of spontaneity in your act. Oh yeah, because I feel like some people are very rigid when it comes to material. Absolutely, like stick to the script. Uh huh. Um, and it's, to some it works well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I used to get nervous a lot uh, doing music, but I what I used to do is uh, well, what I do now is actually I do stand up comedy to get rid of my stage jitters because at least I've I know I'm not funny. I'm really good at music. And right. That's my talent. So, right. but I also get to feel like you know, um, uh, what it feels like to bomb. 
Yeah. And it's not, it, you know, <laughs> and it's not that unfamiliar of a feeling after that. No. Um, yeah. And of course, if you do bomb, that kind of gives you some, you know, room to improvise and try and win the crowd back, so to speak. Uh, if you're trying to grab that room's attention. It's always a battle of trying to, trying to get the crowd on your side again. Yeah. It's always uphill. The microphone is definitely a symbol, um, but you just got to carry your voice with that too. Oh, interesting. The microphone's also a symbol. It is. It is. Like, uh, if you're doing stand-up or performing or whatever, you have total control of the room at that point. It's whether what you do with that control. Right. Whether you let it slip through your fingers or, you know. And that's another thing I talked to a friend lately. And the sense of control, I think, uh, uh, especially predominantly with Mm stand-up, because it's pretty clear-cut of what they're there for. Yeah. Or what reaction they want. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think in general, like... I think a lot of people who perform have this um, flaw in them that they need to have a sense of control over something. Oh, yeah. You know, life may suck, but at least I have control of this. Or l- life is just whatever, but I have control of how they're going to react to this. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a saying, you can never truly be happy unless you realize you have no control. Right, which is ironic because yeah. for stand-ups, is you want that control. <laughs> want I want them so to bad. laugh yeah. at this point. Insane. And if they don't, oh my God, I have no control whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. And the same with music too. And that yeah. and that's all subjective. I mean, right. what you find funny and what you find uh, musically, aesthetically pleasing to your ears, you know. Um, so it's kind of hard to judge that kind of. You always got to feel your audience. And that's where that improvisation, improvisation comes from, right. um, I feel like. And you say you started in, in music first? Yeah, music. Um, I studied music and education for a little bit in college, but I have, what now, 15 years of music experience under my belt. Um, Just doing, I was in um, elementary school band. Right. I saw a marching band one time. What instrument did you play? Tuba. A tuba. And that's that, amazing. Yeah. You're the second tuba player I know in person. That's awesome. I yeah. love it. We all kind of generally look the same. Beard. <laughs> no, no, it's a she. Oh, it's a she. It's it's she's, it, she has no beard. Okay, that's cool. Well, I do know a couple girl tuba players, and they yeah. actually are some of the most badass. They got some lung power, man. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, yeah. the, and the girl that I know, Samantha Fox is her mm. name. She was this tiny little girl, right. but she could blow that horn, like make it blat. You know, when fucking yeah. uh, brass instruments splat, and the yeah. teacher tells you not to do that because it's in bad, you know, form. But she could fucking blast the thing out of that. You could hear it across the football field, like wow. no problem. Like she was right next to you. Yeah. But I started in elementary school. I realized I wanted to play the tuba because uh, my dad and I went to a downtown San Jose parade or whatever, uh-huh. and I saw all the sousaphones just marching down the street, and I was like, I want to do that. Wait, hold on. What is a sousaphone? Sousaphone is a marching band tuba. It's the thing that wraps around you, around oh, your I, okay. shoulders, and it's got the big bell right got up it. here. It's just basically a tuba made for marching. It, um, it, it, it appealed to you. You're like, that's a cool-looking instrument. It was huge. It was bassy. It, it just made the coolest noises and stuff, and I love I love bass. And, right. and anything and that's you know key components in music but um i i love i love the sound of it and so my dad's like you can't take that thing home you're in the fourth grade that thing is twice your size let's and he made me a deal and he was like well if you really want to go and play you know to a middle school you're gonna have to lug that thing home and i lived about like a mile two miles away from my middle school i went to ida price here in san jose mm-hmm. um and so i used to have to wheel my tuba case all the way home the one and a half two miles so i could practice and that was the deal as long as he didn't have to come pick me up yeah and i would i would get to play it and do all the band stuff and so i stuck with that um oh, wow at, at middle school you had that passion already yeah i really liked it um and i did not learn how to read music until i was out of high school fun oh, fact interesting um so so, so you, 
did you take music classes? No. no, I mean, I mean, I went. And, I was in symphonic band and concert band, and, and they didn't teach you how to read because you had to read stuff, don't you? For, well, they for, give you stuff, for... but I would fake my way the entire <laughs> time. I would stay silent the the first two run throughs of the song we do. We do a sight read, and then we'd play it again after we kind of get it down. Right. But I wouldn't play a damn thing, right. and I would just listen for all the other you know players that have the same notes as me, uh-huh. and I would just follow along and right. fake my way. Through. And, and just h- hide your your sound with the others. Absolutely. And so what I started doing <laughs> for how many years? Oh my god! Uh, from sixth grade all the way so four, like yeah, good eight years. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, I uh, dig it. And um, I just remember my senior year of high school, my band teacher was furious with me because we had a competition coming up, and I just wasn't nailing this this uh, piece that we were doing. I think it was "Oh Come Sweet Death." It's actually the name of the song. It's like a classical oh, yeah. piece, the most boring fucking song you could actually play for a tuba because it's just like one to two notes the entire time. But it's got like these weird little um, syncopations that you have to do and right. I just wasn't getting it and she's like what's the issue here what's that note why aren't you playing that and I was like well I don't know she, was she like you, you, you check the sheet for crying out loud yeah she's like it's right in front of you like the <laughs> answers are right there What the, what is the problem and I was like well I don't know how to read music and then she goes how have you been in my class I wasn't keep in mind when she found out I've been in jazz band playing trombone yeah. and drum set and guitar with all these other plays. And that's a little easier to kind of improvise, oh, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, jazz, jazz band, totally. Any any note is not a wrong note in right, jazz, right. considering, you know. Um, but once she found out, she was furious. It's like uh, a sense of betrayal? Yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> that you've been sitting in my class wasting my goddamn time yeah. and just faking your way. And she asked me plainly, she's like, how have you been getting through all these classes and passing all this stuff? And I was like, well, I had to admit to her, I had been bringing a recording device with me to all my band practices that we'd have for class and I would just set it down and I'd listen to everything also I would try and find the song because YouTube was very popular it just started you know getting big right then and there um, so I would go online and look for these songs and just listen for the tuba part and then play along with it in my room and then the next day for class I was so like super duper ready yeah yeah <laughs> and how did she take that that's pretty fucking amazing she thought it was really ingenious but she wishes that I had put that much effort into actually learning how to read music <laughs> you know it's fun. at the end of the day I mean I get it like in, in, in the educational field and especially the competition field right but in, this, in the bigger picture of music that's fucking great. Yeah. That's yeah. fucking like, you know, you don't always have to follow a certain path of how to do music. It's totally like, not. And everybody's you, you, a different learner. Exactly. You know? And you figured a way to to play uh, alongside everybody else and, and nobody noticed for years. No. <laughs> you, my sir, you're a musical genius in my book. <laughs> Thank you. There were a couple times where like in band practice, like we'd get to a section where the band wasn't doing so well and she'd just point to me. She's like, that's weird. Do you want to go check? what you're playing there and I'm like oh yeah sure and then just play so <laughs> quiet that she can't even yeah, I'm hear sorry me. I was on page three I go <laughs> page four exactly and so <laughs> after, yeah after that she uh, mm. she made the last like few weeks of high school she made me come every day uh, after school to learn how to read music mm. like and do it for like two or three hours and it was fairly easy once I actually set my mind to it right. reading music was not a problem right. and like don't get me wrong it's not like I was musically illiterate uh, during that time, like I knew what a few keynotes were like, oh, you got to play a B flat here. Uh, that's, you know, combinations one and three or open if you're playing a concert C2. Like, like you knew like super basic stuff on sheets. Super basic stuff. Yeah. But like anything that was below the staff, I'm sure you've seen a piece of sheet mm-hmm. music. Anything mm-hmm. below the lines for some reason just couldn't grasp, couldn't count fast enough to get it. Because it's actually, I in my opinion, music is like one of the, the most important classes in 
in high school and middle school and oh, stuff yeah. like that. It works so many different parts of the brain and it's highly beneficial. Now, I wish I would have taken advantage of that while I was doing those classes and uh-huh. stuff. But, you know, you, you're counting at the same time. You're keeping in mind how much air to use and uh, using your, your diaphragm at the same time while reading ahead to know where you're going on that piece of sheet music. So you're, you're doing math, you're analytical thinking all at the same time. And it seems like you've had a good ear in general. Yeah, I for got you to to know what what what, what key they're in uh-huh. and, and the notes and rhythm as well. Yeah, of right. Course. And then, and all that came natural to you. Um, for for the most part, um, if I if I heard a scale, I could play along with it, kind of like jazz, you know, work my way around it, improvise, and stuff like that. But it became a routine at the end of the day. Uh, just we would do the same scales, so mm-hmm. I knew how to do that. Someone would say play B flat scale I couldn't read it to you on a sheet but I knew all the keys and everything because it it just been drilled into me repetition wise wow okay uh, and that's I I, uh, I I think I benefited a lot from that and that's what grew my musical ear also I had a killer uh, music teacher in middle school uh, Catherine Lorigan Miss A if you're listening to this for some reason uh, she inspired me to yeah. want to be a musician she took the time to is, know, is this the same teacher that, that no no okay my, that was my high school teacher Mrs. Wyant uh, she was a hard ass hard ass uh, just, but she believed in you in the end of the day at she the end made, of the day she made you uh, come back and learn stuff because she, she didn't have to do that no not at yeah. all she just was completely flabbergasted when yeah. I told her that well psychologically what does that say about her? You know, like, as a music teacher, not seeing that. I thought I was getting through to this kid yeah. all year, <laughs> and he just turns around. Dude, that kind of stuff would would make me question my own uh, skills. You know? Yeah, definitely, <laughs> exactly. But I really, um, I really enjoyed uh, doing that. But your middle school teacher is the most influential. Absolutely, you. she's the one who. Uh, I guess you like paid. I was I was a little shit in middle school, seventh and eighth grade. How so? I was just. I can't believe the guy that's carrying a big two was the, is a the little shit. Oh, dude! I used to just fuck with people. I was just that wild child. My me and my friends used to go around asking each other what we could do for a dollar, and like just go ask people for money in high school. We had money. I had yeah. allowance. I remember doing that once in a while. But you'd be like, uh, "What? What do you give me? What? What should I do if you give me a dollar or five dollars?" And be like, "Oh, of oh, course, shit, the obvious dude. one." You're, was... you're opening yourself up. You're lucky this is in middle school. Oh yeah, this is middle school. At, at this age, you'll be opening up yourself. Or some for badge. everything, yeah. right? And even then, it was kind of bad. Like they would say some outlandish shit that would, you'd be like, "Oh no, I'm not doing that." Well, what's an example of that? Well, like, um, I'm gonna spit in this burger and then rub it in the dirt, and then will you eat it for five bucks? And you're like, "Nah, I I have two dollars. I can go buy my own food." <laughs> like at that point, it's not worth it. But just weird shit. Like uh, yeah. the most common one was like snort this pix- pixie stick. That would be like snort a bunch of sugar. See, what, yeah, I'll give you a dollar for that. How was that? And, and, and not fun. It burns. It burns. <laughs> to be honest, and no high whatsoever. Right. All that sugar you get. Like the good thing is, it's like I wish cocaine had like a sugar drip at the back of your nose because right. like when it drips in the back, it tastes sweet because it's yeah. pixie sticks. Cocaine, not so much. No. Yeah. I'm not talking from experience. <laughs> Never. Never. Oh man! All right. Now you mentioned that you played other instruments throughout your high school. Yeah. I, um, Explain that. Because hold on, before we go there. So you're a kid. You see the tuba. You uh-huh. say, "I want to play that." Yeah. And your dad gets you the tuba, which I'm sure they're we, pretty expensive. Aren't he they? didn't buy me a tuba. I always had to uh, get it from the school, so I don't actually oh. own my own tuba. Okay. I always had it rented through the school for cool. the entire. Even better. Totally but, free. But here you are. You're carrying this tuba around always, and 
And at, at this time, you're, you're playing it. You're not reading notes, but you're playing it. Uh-huh. Uh, 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 what made you go try other instruments? Just because I was getting, like, to be honest, I was getting bored. I could backtrack for a minute. Sixth grade, I went to a completely different middle school. I went to Monroe Middle School for one year. And I can't remember the band teacher's name, but he stuck me on baritone. And I didn't like that because I wanted. I was a tuba player. I had already picked it up and everything. Mm-hmm. But he wanted to play me on baritone. Yeah, I'm sure you know what that is. Uh, or, it's like a saxophone. No, it's a. Like it's like a miniature tuba, basically. Oh. It's just way smaller. Way like smaller. it sits in your lap, kind of thing. And, and you didn't like that. I didn't. The mouthpiece is too small. I got. Okay. I got big loose lips for a tuba player. So okay. like, yeah. So I mean, have you ever played brass, brass instrument before? Uh, dude, I, I, I'm picking up a saxophone. I'm learning mm. that a little well, that's, bit. That's reeds. Um, and I, I, I just borrowed a trumpet. Nice. Okay, so that's those uh, are way too small. Those you gotta have like thin bird lips or like be like dizzy. I dizzy got big glasses. lips though. So that would be a problem. Then. You, no, you might not. Some people can get like a really. So I mean, you know well, what to so, do. So, some of the best jazz uh, trumpet players. Dizzy have Gillespie big had lips. huge lips. Yeah, exactly. Huge Gillespie. lips. Yeah, I get his cheeks though. The way he blows on those cheeks. The reason why he like has a frog that is a blowout. This a blowout. is what they call a blowout which is when you're blowing way too hard you're putting too much pressure on your cheeks is that you actually stretch those cheek muscles to the point where they don't go back anymore so when you're blowing out air they puff up automatically so there's no tension in your cheeks anymore so it's a good thing to do that no it's not it's not it's actually a bad thing but Dizzy Gillespie God rest his soul was just such a badass trumpet player that yeah. he didn't give a fuck, and right. they also didn't really know about that back yeah. then. That he was I, just blowing his cheeks out. I guess out. that really helped Chet Baker because Chet Baker had pretty thin lips. Uh huh. Yeah. Think so you know, white man. Yeah. You know? Thin bird uh, lips. Okay, I think I went there. I think I, I made it somewhat racial. <laughs> <laughs> you did. You did. <laughs> um, <yeah. It's> all, <laughs> don't think about it, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, I'm not thinking about it. It's all right now. But anyway, so, I don't see color. No, oh, I'm just oh, kidding. oh, really? I'm kidding. No, I definitely see color. I'm not colorblind. No, of course. <laughs> uh, but okay, so yeah, I'm picking up the trumpet. I, I remember uh, when my friend gave it to. It was during the Gong Show for Scotty. We're doing this thing. It's a Gong Show. Yeah, I'm familiar with the old TV show, The Gong Show. We're, we're doing that at for Scotty now on the third Wednesday. Of, oh, that's cool. Uh, of, of the month, and he he, he brought the trumpet, oh, and he's like, "Oh, we're here!" And he's like, "Wouldn't it be funny if you just went up there and you you never played trumpet before in your life, uh-huh. and you just play it and you get gonged?" Oh my god, that's awesome! And so I went up there and you know, I played this character like, "Oh yeah, you know, I never played the trumpet, but I'm a musical <laughs> genius," and and I do this thing, you know, where I'm preparing myself, and people like after ap- like afterwards, people were like, "I really thought you knew how to play trumpet." I did not know how to hold the thing. <laughs> so I'm like there and I just blow and it's the worst sound ever. <laughs> and before you know it, the crowd's going, go, go, go. <laughs> That's go. awesome. So, so you're going to do like a whole like kind of reenactment of the gong show in the same kind of style? Yeah. Where you got yeah. like three people. Uh, it, it's Mighty Mike McGee who's running it. Though. Okay. Uh, we're collaborating mm-hmm. and it gives me a day off. Nice. That's uh, always good. And it's a lot of fun. Mm. Uh, but, but going back, so... You go from a big tuba uh-huh. to a small tuba. Yeah, to a small baritone. tuba. And then go eventually go back to tuba. And then um, in that Ida Price 7th and 8th grade time, uh, I would I wasn't in the zero period. Do you remember zero period? You would get, you, yeah, I did that once. It was before school right. at, at 7 a.m. Yeah. Everybody else gets there at 8. So, but you the have cool like, kids had zero period. Cool I, kids had zero period and 7th period if you were like the hardcore nerd, which, so. is, which I did because uh-huh. I wanted to burn the candle at both ends. Um... <laughs> But, um, so uh, I would help out with the concert band. Concert band was zero period. I was in symphonic band, which was during the daytime. But it was uh, usually like sixth graders that were in concert band. So I was like, I'm not doing anything with my mornings. I'd go in there. So I'd play drum set 
or I would do percussion for them. I would just fill in for percussion. So I got like a basic rhythm down and in middle school and was able to read rhythm because that's just... Well, what kind of percussion set did you have? Well, we um, I did wood block a lot, like the blocks and stuff like that with the different pitches and right. stuff. Um, I was on like the big bass drum, which you like the big Lord of the Rings. That's fun. Um, which is, you know, really awesome. And then I would do like a uh, drum set for like certain fun songs that we would do um and then when my teacher miss miss a she would uh, get tired or didn't want to teach the class she would have me lead the class so i would be actually conducting the sixth graders and stuff like that which was kind of fun wow um and I, this is someone that didn't know that you you didn't read no not at all I, she had but you she knows the class. I, but she knows i know how to keep time and, <laughs> okay. you know and stuff like that but nope oh, dude. as far as like looking at the score that's on the conductor's podium right, like yeah. total gibberish did, to me did, did you improvise uh running the class the yeah time? totally because <laughs> there's a way that you're supposed to do that you're supposed to conduct a band there's a little thing called floor door window ceiling right. so say so floor door window ceiling but I would like do these weird cues like when I'd have the trumpets come in I like held the baton like a baseball bat and I cued them in I was like you're gonna come in here yeah. and just swung it like a baseball bat and they knew exactly what to do it's, it doesn't really matter it, it made it more fun yeah it was really cool it was really silly the 6th graders really liked me because I would just you know break all the rules right. and stuff like that um, but yeah getting back to the other instruments later on in high school I just wanted to keep doing music classes like all the other classes I was doing were just total second rate to me at that point because uh, I had access to all this equipment in high school and stuff like that. And it was extracurricular activities. I'm a social butterfly, so I was always around people and friends. Um, but I started getting in. I wanted to do more, so I joined the jazz band. Mm. Um, and that was... And that's where the real snorting of the pixie dust come in. Yeah, right? of course. No, that was high school. Well, pixie snorting dust all the way behind me at that point. Oh, I, so this is after high school. Th- no, this is during high school. Middle school was when I was snorting the pixie sticks. Okay. So, Sorry, uh, we're jumping around. Okay. okay. So now you're in high school, uh-huh. and you decided to join a jazz band. Yeah. Like, I, like in, in school jazz band or out, out of school jazz band? In school jazz band. Okay. I'd, I'd seen them play at a couple concerts because, you know, when you do a collaborative concert, the symphonic band and the jazz band play in the same venue. The parents come, that yeah. whole nine yards. Uh, but they were they were playing like really cool songs like they were playing the Muppets show theme song they did one time and I thought that was totally rad um, so when I joined there's no room for a tuba mm. on the in jazz. jazz there is why if not you're doing, like, Dixie, <laughs> if you're doing Dixieland jazz for sure dude um, that's something I want to see at Stritch I want to see some random ass guy bring a tuba and if just I have eight, play if I have 8 grand to go buy a tuba which is how much they, those things eight cost gra- dude I like, believe it it's about as much as a used car yeah um, but that's the one I want. That's the one super fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, yeah, there's not really room for, like, classic jazz, tuba and a classic jazz. We had a bass player. We had an upright bass and an electric bass. Mm-hmm. So the band teacher, Miss Wyatt, um, in high school, she asked me, she was like, well, what do you feel about playing, you know, trombone? And I was like, well, I don't want to learn how to play slide. That's a totally different ball game. I don't want to have to do Dude, that. Dude, trombone, playing those bones. So I actually made You got me excited, Red. Yeah, thanks. I, I love the trombone. Trombone's awesome. It's one of the most like fun instruments to play. Dude, it's, it's portable. You don't have to worry about knocking people in the head with your, your sousaphone right. every once in a while uh, or dropping the damn thing because uh-huh. it's so heavy sometimes. Right. Um, but I made her get me a valve trombone. Which is basically it's just got trumpet valves right there instead of using a slide. Oh, interesting! It's really awesome. It's and it's the same way that you play a tuba. The notes are basically the, the exact same. So it's like a hybrid instrument. The hybrid instrument, Never yeah. Heard so of that. For, for people who don't want to learn how to play slide and they want to easily just 
play that instrument without having to learn new techniques. Right. It's, a good, it's a good uh, transition for you. Totally, uh, and it was easily comprehensible. Um, just not 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 hard in the least. So I picked that up, and then in jazz band, uh, she got me scatting. We did the. Uh, we did the old Spider-Man theme song for one of our concerts. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. And you scattered that? Yeah, so I sang the the lyrics and everything and then she was like, "All right, well, this is part of your, you know, requirement. You got to learn how to scat." And it w- I don't know why she made me specifically do it because I was like the most ballsiest one that would just didn't care right? that I was putting myself out there. Uh-huh. Um, I loved the attention. Just uh, that, and then I still do. Yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, so I would, I would agree to do anything at that point, but she was like, yep, you're going to scat. And I, I had no idea how to scat. It was just basically mumbling gibberish. And that's who, how I do my scat. Today. Who did she direct you to see or hear? For like Ella Fitzgerald, uh, okay, stuff good. like that. Um, no, no Aerosmith stuff. Um, a little bit, but like kind of weird. <laughs> um, she actually did give me, and this is actually going to lead in right now. Uh, she turned me on to Reggie Watts. Ooh. You familiar with Reggie Watts? Yeah. Beatboxer, everything. Mm-hmm. That guy scats like almost all of his beats. If you listen to it, he's just mouthing gibberish and putting tone to it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds so good. And that's when I started getting into beatbox. And that was around my, I want to say, summer of sophomore year like going into junior year i like she had told me about it at the end of the year i spent the whole summer just watching everything that he had done this comedy is like really out there mm-hmm. um so i didn't like much of his stand-up but i loved all of his loop station performances and so i dedicated the next two years uh i used to commute to school uh on the bus and i'd have to get up way too fucking early because i live on south side and I went to Branham High School. Mm-hmm. So I used to have to take the bus all the way down Blossom Hill to go get to Meridian and then cut all the way over. So, And I had zero period because I was a cool kid. Right. Um, so I'd have to catch a bus at like 5.30 in the morning to get to school on time because that's how far it is uh, at 7 o'clock. And that was just horrible. But that entire time, those two hours that I had, I would beatbox on the bus. I would practice. Even if there was people on the bus with me, <laughs> I right. didn't care. And yeah. I sounded like a complete fucking weirdo. Especially when I started getting into you're, like... You're the guy from Police Academy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Chris, uh, Chris Winslow, I yeah, think yeah. that guy's name is. Yeah, really yeah. cool. Big influence on me. Yeah. Um, I, but but you're, you're in the bus making noises? Making noises. Uh, just like, especially when it comes to like some of the more advanced techniques. Um, it takes a while. So like my favorite one that I know that I love is a voice growl. Um, and how does you, that sound? You see, oh, yeah. which is really fucking cool. But when you don't know how to do it and vibrate your vocal cords and your throat in the bag, it comes out like, la, 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 la. <laughs> and so I'm on a public bus and there, keep in mind, there's like a good group of 10 people on the bus with me. Right. So they're just staring at me the entire time. And yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to piece it all together. And eventually, like, I think it took me about, I want to say another year to figure out actually how to put the sounds together. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I got into it. And mm. that's when I started. Getting... That's where the magic happens. Totally. For, for any music, music, like when me guitar, like I barely, I'm still learning, but when I was mm-hmm. learning, it's like, I don't know. Cause that, but once you find progressions where you, you put the notes together. Yeah. Oh, it's magic. Yeah. And, that, that, and that's what happened to you. Yeah. That's what happened to me. It's like the same. I felt it's the same way when I fell in love with the tuba. That the tube is my first love. Let's just say the tuba was my 
uh, losing my virginity to the to the music world. It was yeah. my first love, the one that got away, right. so to speak. Like I could have right. been a concert pianist or a concert tubaist <laughs> in the orchestra. Oh, I'll never get her back. Yeah, right. But then I found this new hot girlfriend called Beatbox, uh, and it just blew my fucking. And, and it looks like you went through many girlfriends before you went through that one. I, I totally did. I yeah. went through them like fucking you went Kleenex. Through, you, you went around town. I, I was I was the town whore when it came yeah. to instruments. But then you, you found her in some. Someplace Some, you never expected to find her. On a public bus. <laughs> on a public uh, bus. On a public bus is where I fell in love with her. Next to a homeless man, uh, actually. <laughs> which is the weirdest of that places to me. That's how we met. Right. Um, but I'm actually, the weirdest thing was like, it was when I was first learning to put those things together. I was learning how to do kicks and snares and stuff like that with your mouth. So it's like uh, hard B sounds when you want to do a kick, like a really good kick. is like, Bleh. So you say like, and I'll get into this a little later when I teach kids how to beatbox uh, and stuff like that. Oh, wow. I, I've taught some adults how to do it too. That's fascinating because, you know, singers singers always say, and I believe them because I'm not hard to sing. It's hard. And I go, your voice is just, look at it as another instrument. Totally. In your case, it's literally another no, instru- instrument. Several Inst- instruments, actually. Yeah, and I love I love to sing. I do like to sing on top of my beats because uh, I uh, I have a loop station, which I was going to bring today, but mm-hmm. I just didn't know what equipment. Definitely have to come do a mini death concert for you another time. Um, hey, dude, uh, we'll talk later, but I do, yeah. I do have something that's oh, s- cool. similar to Tiny Desk Concerts for this podcast. Nice, cool. I'm not sure if you heard of it. It's the sound sessions I do. No, what's that? I, I think I've you've talked to me about it in passing when we've seen each other on the street. It's pretty much me filming... Uh, Guest musical guest I had on here on oh, like awesome. somewhere downtown and you just perform and usually I have them perform an acoustic song oh cool and it's all one take yeah but I'll, I'll be fascinated to see what we can do about beatbox oh yeah dude yeah. I got some I'll definitely share some ideas with you after this yeah. um, but but uh, so and then after high school you continue with 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 beatboxing yeah not with the other instruments no not at all actually I mean I did um no no beatboxing sorts interrupt but it seems yeah. like beatboxing is a very solo act. Totally, it's not an ensemble act. Okay. Uh, what I, I mean, what, it's, not, it's not not like you join a band. No, actually, in most cases, you really got to find a hip hop lyricist. Yeah. Um, which I've been desperately trying to find for the last, I want to say like five years. I've been looking for a hip hop artist, just someone to collaborate with. Uh, I mean, I got my. Uh, you familiar with Daniel Mendoza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, the guy that looks like Freakazoid. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean that in a good way. I mean, you know, of course. No, I call him Beetlejuice, Bride of Frankenstein, yeah. take your pick. Love the guy. Yeah. Uh, we've been best friends since seventh grade. Oh, so he was in this journey with you. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't in band or anything like that, yeah. but he would make fun of me for being in it and stuff like was that. Was he the guy that would give you a dollar for snorting pixies? Oh, yeah. He was the instigator. <laughs> Sometimes he would throw a fiver on it just to make it interesting. <laughs> See what else he could get. Pop, <laughs> it sounds like Edwin does it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, anytime yeah. I see any of our old friends, they're like, "Oh, so you're still best friends with Daniel?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "They say yeah," and they're like, "How's that like?" And I was like, "It's just, just like middle school, man. It's <laughs> some things have changed, but we're we're basically still the same kids." And he, he, so he's your main collaborator. Yeah, I mean, every he freestyles um, and everything like that. He's pretty good, you know, rap rap artist if you want to say that. But he's more into comedy and stuff, so he's good with words. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like my filler. In between, in between, you know, before I get to the next big thing, I guess you could say. What is it that you look for when you want to collaborate with someone that freestyles? Uh, someone who's got like you know good rhythm, can take vocal cues really well, uh, and also not be so into themselves that they're just focusing on their little part of the piece. Do you feel that's difficult to find? Because I know uh, the South Bay is pretty big in the hip hop. Oh, totally. Um, I just don't have the connections and everything. But mm. for me, I do find that some musicians are 
way into their sound. Yeah. And they tend to just, you know, want to blast what they want to blast instead of finding a balance to the, you know, the piece that you're doing. So like uh, for an example, I was working with a with a guy one time and I sent him a couple of my beats. I, I, I do I dabble in music production. So if I'm not going to beatbox it because you can't do acoustic all the time. Right. Uh, so I'll do some computer beats and stuff, which I do on my phone sometimes. But I sent this one guy um, a beat. And he told me, you know, take out the snare here and, uh, you know, add a couple more melodies. So I did that and I sent it back. And he was like, no, I can't hear my vocals enough. Can you turn that up and then turn these two things down? And so basically I was bringing the track down. And so all you were hearing was just his vocals. And it was just like uh, elevator music in the background pretty much over his vocals. And he was extremely adamant about how good that sounded. And I was, I just like, I can't take you seriously at that point. It's just like uh, filmmaking for me. It's like you got to find someone who has a similar vision. Totally. As you. Yeah. And someone you gel with, someone yeah. you mesh with. And, and the thing is, it could be somebody who's more advanced than you in, 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 on paper. Mm-hmm. Or it could be someone who's just started. But if you have the same vision, uh-huh. that's a good collaboration to have. I feel like, I feel the same way. Yeah, definitely. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So, like, I've been trying to find, you know, hip-hop lyricists because uh, it just kind of blends the two. I mean, I can do all the Reggie Watts stuff that stuff that I want and, you know, mm-hmm. speak complete gibberish and have it be melodical and stuff, which I like because right. he's got interesting stuff, and that's a lot of my influence right there. Uh, you know, just playing with others, music with others is fun. Yeah. And it's so much... Uh, I feel magical. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I perform with yeah. my songs, mm-hmm. you, I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm nervous when I'm like by myself mm-hmm. on stage. Yeah. But when I have my, my buddies playing drum or piano next to the music, it's mm-hmm. like, it's so much more better. Yeah. Cause in some way you're not, it's not all hanging on you exactly. at some point too. Yeah. And there's that little bit of release and gives you a little bit more room to feel comfortable because you're with other people that are doing the same thing as you. Exactly. I feel the it's same. Like we're in it together. We're in the trenches together. Yeah. If we bomb, if we fucking bomb, we're all bombing together, man. Where yeah. there's no turning back. But yeah. I try not to look at it that way. It's like I feel like we're all gonna kick ass, you know, and stuff. Oh yeah, like go in with a positive attitude. Of course, of course. And that's what I love about jazz. It's it's a lot more collaborative too. You know, there's always oh, that yeah. point during a jazz uh, uh, concert where they do the solos of each instrument. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, that's always fun to see. That process is completely competitive. Yeah? Have you ever uh, known anybody in a jazz ensemble, like in high school or anything like that? No, not really. Is it? Uh, do, do they really get territory about how much time they have for their solos? Oh, yeah. Like, uh, and who gets the first solo? And what if you get to solo at all? Like, it was a big deal if you got... Because you get the recognition, you stand up after your solo or whatever. Or you stand up during your solo and everyone claps for you. Like, oh, yeah, that guy. Do you feel that's also, like, in the professional level? Like, not professional but let's say like the, the, the ones that are not in high school oh yeah totally if you're in a real life jazz like let's say you're in a jazz band like you have a band and you're, you're you have your own piece and you're playing and you know the bass player just decides to go for a fucking walk on the bass and doing his own thing and jamming out and everyone's just staring at him like what the fuck and so like and then it becomes this competition yeah. where you know okay so the guitar player is gonna come in and do his riffs and sometimes the bass player is not even done doing his so it actually ends up becoming this jarbled fucking mess that's if you're unprofessional right uh, but it that's does that's so funny today tonight I'm going to check out a, a jazz band at Stitch so I'm I gonna keep a lookout for that oh yeah see and see you know people will agree with each other like oh oh, yeah, this, this solo sounds better here. You know, the saxophone really complements the song instead of, you know, whatever you got, like clarinet or flute or whatever you got. And, um, 
yeah, I think from high school you can totally see that, and it's just that's just the way it is. And if you're in an orchestra, you compete for first chair and everything like that, first chair clarinet, oboe, uh, first chair tuba. Even mm-hmm. I had to compete for in high school. There was a girl younger than me who wanted the, my first chair spot, and I was a senior. Right. I was like, this little girl is not taking that away from me. <laughs> also, it was her first year on tuba, and she was a freshman. Oh, yeah, so, she got balls, though. Yeah, so she's, like, just going in. It's like being in prison and, like, going up to the biggest dude that you know and, like, socking him in the face real hard yeah. so everyone knows what you're about. Right. It was kind of like that, but uh, I actually decided to just step down because I ended up actually being the senior class president in high school, so I didn't have... Wow, so you were very involved with your... I was very involved with school. You know, that's something I noticed about you. When I first met you... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I met you at Woodham's, mm-hmm. right? And you were you were in the Woodham's lounge uh, hat. Always got to represent. I love that place. Yeah, it's a great place. You know, it's funny. Like before I get into comedy, I used to go there on Friday night because I used to live in Cupertino. I used uh-huh. to go there on Friday nights for the music scene. Oh yeah, the, uh, they got some pretty good bands. Amanda, yeah. the owner, really. Oh, cool, she's great. Really she's cool a- girl. Um, yeah. She always invites me to all the, the you know the concerts and stuff. Really friendly on Facebook and everything. Like willing to talk to you. She's not above that. And when I was talking to you for the first time, you seemed like you you're very in tune with the community. And, I like yeah. And I'm like yeah, this guy. Then we started talking, and you started ta- you know it's like this guy is really in tune with the community, and and, and that's very nice to see. Yeah, um, I'm originally from San Jose. I moved away for like the last. You know, five or six years I was in San Luis Obispo. Oh, how was that? But it was nice. It was cool. That's where I was teaching music to little kids. I was giving music lessons out there, and so I had like the perfect couple jobs, pretty much. I would I worked in Pismo Beach, and I could see the ocean from the restaurant that I worked at, and I was bartending there. Just one of the most perfect jobs you could ever like imagine. And it was like a tourist based restaurant, so it wasn't always busy. And mm-hmm. so when it was busy, the money was really good. And then I would go play music. So I get to get people drunk and then go play music on the beach. Yeah. There was nothing better at that point. Um, it just beatboxing, right? Beatboxing. I would teach uh, kids, I would do music lessons for guitar, piano, and percussion. Yeah. So I would basically teach them the basics of all three so like rhythm uh notes and melodies some chords not to get because i was dealing with six to twelve year olds right. and stuff like that so giving them a basic knowledge of what they wanted to go and then i'd let them pick which instrument that they like to specialize in after they've learned the basics of all three um so i really like doing that so i didn't have any drum sets or anything like that and most of the kids that i was teaching wanted to learn percussion they love the drums and stuff like that it's not a big instrument that you usually have to have you can pretty much bang on anything they make drumsticks with rubber tips so you can literally make a drum set out of anything mm-hmm. um so i decided that i was going to teach beatbox and so i that's what really got the kids excited actually and if i broke it down because it was making funny noises and they love that that shit dude they go ape shit for it it's pretty nuts like the voice growl i had one kid who almost got it but just would not stop trying to practice and stuff like that mm. um and just really fun ways to creatively teach how to do that because i don't think there's really I mean, there's a school of thought to learning how to beatbox. It's just like all how you build your technique. And I think you can't just teach a certain style. You look at all these other different styles of beatboxing and you bring it together in your own fashion. Like right. You take what you want out of it and make it what you want. Um, but my favorite thing was making up silly exercises for the kids because they loved it. Like my favorite is the, the booty push. The booty push. The booty push. How does that sound? It's so you use the hard B sound. And you go the boo, t, 
if you want, you can add some melody in there if you're getting crazy. Stuff like that. It's really fun. And then the other one they love learning was learning how to record scratch. And uh, that's doing that's pretty hard, but most people can do it. Yeah, well, I think that's the most common one, right? Yeah, it's you can do (laughs) that. I I can do it. There's certain, there's, there's that. Which is making like a a sh, like a shushing somebody. Yeah. So shawa 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 sha. So yeah, that's how I would phrase it out. So the kids would practice that. And mm-hmm. what I describe is beatboxing is just hard whispering. That's all you're really doing. <laughs> yeah, that's what really we're yeah. really hard whispering. But like when I do a vocal scratch, you get a really high pitched voice, and then you bring it down low, and you somehow meld the two. Uh, so what I would do is I would say a what. Start high with uh and then end low with what. So, and you could do that. Um, the one I'm really good at is the the handheld scratch. You make kind of a perpendicular line with your four fingers and then kind of angle your thumb up at a right angle. Right. And you put it in between your lips and. See, that's fascinating to me because I would have never have thought about the different ways you can make just one sound. One Cause, sound, cause, yeah. Because w- what you do is you're adding character to those different sounds. Oh, totally. And you know, there's like different record scratches. Like yeah. when you're on a turntable, like. Bazel. And for someone like me, the average guy who's like. Like we find that stuff amazing. Like Now, you mentioned that you were there. You seem to be living it pretty good. So why made you decide to come back home? All. Oh, man, that's a. It's a long-winded story. I can keep it short, though. Uh, I was here in San Jose. I had just graduated high school. Um, and my best friend, I'm not, I'm not going to name these friends, but they were they decided, they were watching Weeds one day. Remember mm-hmm. that show, Weeds? Yeah. And they decided that they were going to sell weed. They that, You know what? They, these days, that's the thing to do. Oh, totally. But this was back in, what, 2000? Okay. 2010. The dispensary industry wasn't that big yet. No, not yet. So it was still very highly illegal if you didn't have a right. medical card. You still it, had to do it. It was still corners. a felony. It wasn't a misdemeanor because Arnold Schwarzenegger hadn't signed that that uh, that under an ounce as a misdemeanor law. Well, it's a good thing they didn't see Breaking uh, Bad yet. Right, exactly. <laughs> then it would have been an epidemic of fucking meth heads everywhere. <laughs> so, nah, it's cool. I saw Breaking Bad. They gave me the idea. Yeah. I got cancer. Or, you know, <laughs> But... <laughs> they got the idea to sell. Wait, was that a joke? Did you get cancer? No. Oh no, oh, no, no, that, that was, was definitely a joke. Okay, uh, <laughs> Jesus. So, so, so that went dark. They were watching weeds. They were watching weeds to get the bright idea that they want like, to sell weeds. So. Hey, if this mom could do it. We could do it. Yeah, of course. A couple of kids fresh out of high school. So my friends were selling. They were still living with the their parents, and um, the mom caught the weed in the house one day and mm-hmm. it was basically like you gotta go and it was both my friends living together so it was my friend we'll call him D and uh my other friend B uh B was living with D at his parents house mm-hmm. and uh basically they were both selling the weed together they both got kicked out and they were like oh well we need to go somewhere mm-hmm. uh so they ended up I mean were they making actually good business to continue no no so, so they stubbornly it's continued to do it the worst fucking business ever okay. like <laughs> just getting high off your own supply it's like the number one oh, rule yeah. you never break right uh but they were they were basically selling enough to be able to like smoke themselves out you okay. know they're breaking even they're breaking even so to speak yeah um but anyway, so they're like, we got to get out of here. So they started looking places in uh, Southern California, and they dragged my other friend uh, into joining them. And I was like, well, 
I thought we were all friends. Right. And nobody invited me. Thanks for the invite, kind of thing. And I called my, you know, my friend, and I was like, "What's up with that?" And he goes, "Well, you can come too if you want to." <laughs> so all four of us just decided to pick up and leave San Jose, all because you know they just got kicked out. And I had the option of you know staying and uh, having staying with my parents and stuff like that. But I wanted to get out. I'd already seen everything I needed to see in San Jose. Right. Uh, it just wasn't that interesting. It changes scenery. It's good. Oh, totally. Um, and I wanted to see a little bit more of California. Never been to SoCal like really that much, and especially Central Coast. But so yeah, we moved out there. Um, and spent four wonderful years together as friends. And then we all parted ways at some point. Um, one of my friends left early because uh, he moved to Oregon. He paints airplanes now. Oh, wow. Uh, he used to work retail with the guy. Uh-huh. Uh, really funny. Um, my other friend actually is back here. and He moved to San Diego first and then actually ended up moving back here to San Jose. And then the the third friend ended up in Richmond. So, I mean, we're all kind of here now. Yeah. We all moved back. But none of my friends were there. That's the whole reason why I moved back to San Jose. Yeah. I started missing my family a little bit more because right. uh, it wasn't that that accessible to just come and pick up and leave San Luis Obispo, come to San Jose, like, every weekend. It's always good to cha- to, to travel. And yeah. it gives you much more appreciation of home as well. You yeah. Know what I'm saying? You come back, you're like, all right where do I leave off here and, and what's available absolutely and then vice versa I actually came back and realized that was a huge mistake <laughs> but, I lo- but I love it here so much so the, the, kinda... the beach is not as close no not as close it's just the rent man I, oh, can't, yeah. I can't stand it uh, I hear you I used to complain about we we split four of us split a two bedroom apartment so we, we both had to share rooms we, we shared rooms both ways we used to complain about $250 rent a month there that's it? We used to complain about that. What the fuck? When I, like a year out of high school, I was like, I can't scrounge out $250. Meanwhile, I was getting drunk off my ass right. uh, and spending all my money on booze uh, and everything like, and partying because it was our first, you know, right. year out of the house with my friends and stuff. It was like one big giant sleepover party, whatever you want to call it. For four years. And we used, yeah, we used to, um, not all together. I mean, we moved around a couple, couple times and then we met friends and I ended up moving out with those other friends that we met there and ended up forming long lasting friendships and stuff like that. But they were still going to school by the time I was done with Santa, San Luis Obispo. So I just decided it was time to come back. But yeah, the thing that made me not miss this place is the crowds, all the traffic and just how expensive it is to live out here. But I'm stubborn enough to try and make it work. Right. Cause I love the Bay. Got it. I'm born and raised. Born and raised. And then, and then you're here and you're beatboxing and you got to comedy. Yeah. How'd that come about? Uh, actually, Daniel. Uh, Daniel decided that he... He's always been interested in different things. Uh, he's really good at art. He's a very good artist. He draws very well. Uh, paints also. Um, like I said before, he raps a little bit, so he's really good with words. And that kind of evolved into him doing comedy. He realized he was better at making jokes than he was at writing rhymes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still goof around and he's he's pretty good at writing rhymes but he's way better at uh, okay. making jokes it, just in conversation everything is a joke uh, like to a fault it's so awesome um, like I'll, I'll tell you something recently my great nana had just passed away mm-hmm. on uh, February 13th the day before Valentine's Day um, and I was actually out of town but she was very old she was 93 but I come back and I hang out with Daniel and I tell him about uh, what had happened and he just comes off with a string of jokes about her dementia and stuff like that and I could not help but laugh as sad as it was and, and not appropriate at the time 
I was laughing my ass off. Uh-huh. I, and so um, when that started evolving in him doing comedy, uh, he started going to Woodham's. And he was like, hey, you should come check me out over here. It's an open mic. And so I came to a few with them, and I was like, well, this is fucking dumb. And I didn't really, <laughs> didn't really appreciate it for what it was. I like, could do that. Yeah, and I was like, no, I, I was like, nah, you won't catch me dead doing that. Oh. That's what I said. I'm not fucking getting up there and making a fool of myself. Like, right. I, I always risk that doing that as a musician anyways. Why would I add another tor- avenue towards self-hatred? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. But so I hear you. I went there one time with him on a Monday, and he just signed me up. And Pete Munoz, Pete Munoz, yeah. comes up and is like, "All right, give it up for uh, this very funny guy. It's his first time. Give show him a lot of love, Patrick Watley." And I was like, "What?" And Daniel's like, "Just go, just go." And so I got up there and I talked about my blind brother for a good couple of while, and I told I told like one Helen Keller joke that was kind of funny, but it wasn't in long form, like story form. It was just like you know, grandpa jokes. Like that kind of style. Like, how did Helen Keller burn her face? She answered the iron. Yeah. (laughs) And stuff like that. Um, And I used to do, I I actually used to run an open mic and I would tell those horrible jokes sometimes because those were the only ones I knew. Where did you run the open mic at? In San Luis Obispo, actually. So I used to run it at this coffee shop called Kreuzberg. General open mic or comedy open mic? um, General, right? General. So there are people who do slam poetry, some people who do comedy. Um, and then most people would just bring their guitar and play. How was that experience running a room for you? I really enjoyed it. It was actually, I did that for a year. I did that for a whole year and that was really fun. You meet the strangest people though. Oh yeah. Um, just not that they're not talented or anything like that, but like, oh, you're going to do that on stage. Have fun with that. Yeah. Uh, And I don't like to put anybody down for their art because it's art and stuff like that. But we had this 14 year old girl one come in one time and do a slam poem about her first period. Wow. So that was – and somebody had just done, like, comedy, like, yeah. like the set before. Uh-huh. And so it went from a really high-level energy, everyone's laughing, to a, oh, this is really fucking awkward and personal <laughs> about this girl. Like, the, just the adjectives she was using, blood gushing forth from my womanly, you know, parts or whatever the words she used. I'll never – Were her remember. parents there? That's even more awkward if they were. I fucking hope not. I honestly wasn't paying it. I was just so transfixed on the stage that I was like, what the fuck is going on right now? Did I really let her just get up here and do that? But you can't judge. You can't judge at that point. Well, as someone who runs a room, you feel there's some responsibility in your part to make sure that the show's running good and that you know the people are not oh, weirded yeah. out. Yeah, of course. Like making people uncomfortable, which yeah. actually somebody was uncomfortable. And she's like, do you let people like that come on stage regularly? I was like, well, it's it's art and you kind of got to just let it go at that point. And on top of that, it's a 14-year-old girl. Yeah, of course. It's, like, you can't, you... it's super fresh, dude. Like <laughs> yeah. she's experiencing these feelings right now, like as we speak. And not that you get to that period that late, but... Um, it's just like if someone's like why, why did you let that happen I'm like it's a I can't just go, you know teenage periods are the worst periods there's so <laughs> many hormones going on at that point I don't expect to know because I'm not a woman but right. I had many girlfriends at 14 that were just plain fucking crazy why you had girlfriends at 14 I did you were the definitely the cool guy I was not I was just I, I'm social I hate the fun fact about me I hate the silence I hate silence. silence. It's the weirdest thing, and people always tell me that. Like, you don't. You, you make it sound so like threatening. The, the silence. I I just it's uncomfortable to me yeah. for some reason. If I'm by myself, I will catch myself talking to myself out loud. Sometimes it's really weird. I don't know if I do it just to hear myself talk, but I always have to feel like I have to move a conversation. That's interesting. Why do you think that is? 
Yeah, I can I can tell you straight up why I, I was left alone a lot as a child. Uh, uh-huh. This is getting into way more backstory. We could probably do a whole other podcast on. This, no, no, but, uh, if you don't mind, we could delve into it a little bit. Yeah, no worries. Um, are you an only child? I have a half brother who's blind. Half, who's that? Okay. Um, so younger or older? I'll start at the beginning. My dad met my mom at a pizza hut. They worked together mm. uh, here in San Jose. Uh, Did you know which specific pizza? Is it still there? No, it's not still okay. there. I know where it used to be. It used to be on Branham and Pearl. Okay. Um, but they met at a pizza hut. My dad and mom were friends for a while. They hooked up. They were 20 at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hooked up. Uh, my mom said she was on birth control when she wasn't. And then set, nine months later, I popped out. And then she came to my dad's house was like, you got a son. You don't have to. I'm moving to Washington with my parents. You can come if you want to, or you can stay. She totally gave him an out. And what okay. 20-year-old wouldn't take that? I would I would totally take that, that yeah. chance. If I was 20 years old and a girl I hadn't known for that long uh, got pregnant, I, I might be that asshole, but I'm way too compassionate now mm-hmm. to, 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 to say that with a straight face. Uh, but so she ended up moving to Washington with my grandparents, and I grew up there until I was 10. And my dad came into my life when I was Four, so I started visiting over summers from four to ten, and then uh, later my mom became a heroin addict, um, and so I would get left with random people. Right. She would be she would uh, when my brother was born when I was eight. Sometimes she would leave me by myself um, with a blind baby, and then go God knows where. Sometimes so you, you had to grow up pretty fast. Oh yeah, because the responsibility to take care of somebody. Yeah, I mean don't get me wrong, I had a pretty somewhat pampered life living with my grandparents because I didn't live with my mom the entire time. My grandparents saw what a destructive, you know, environment that was. So they pretty much took care of me. But it's fascinating, though, because here you didn't have a, a, a stable father figure. Right. But you At the time. Ha- but you had to be a father figure to somebody mm-hmm. who is blind. Yeah. Yeah. And I and before my brother was born, I used to get left alone all the time. So I kind of learned how to cook for myself uh, and stuff like that. I watched, like, Yan Can Cook on PBS one time. <laughs> And learned how to make an omelet. It was awesome. It was like well, actually one of the best days of my life. Uh, I always remember Yan Can Cook's voice in the back of my head. One mm-hmm. egg, two egg, break now. <laughs> <laughs> yummy, yummy. Anyway, so I'm getting too far back. But um, So my mom would just leave me alone a lot. And I would always be by myself. And when I would be left alone with my brother, obviously he's a blind baby. So he can't really add too much to the conversation. Um, so that evolved into me just always talking to strangers the worst thing that a child could do but I was always doing it how old were you? the first time I started talking to strangers like and was didn't have a problem with it I want to say I was like six six I was like six Uh and I would just totally anybody on the street anybody who was listening wanted to listen Mm -hmm. or was gonna listen or didn't have a choice to listen I was talking to them wow for Mm -hmm. no reason at all in some ways it it was you trying to reach out totally and like just talk to somebody yeah, so that's yeah, getting pretty deep. And, and, and I I find there's a connection there the way you studied music without learning right. sheets because just as, as a young age you had to improvise how right. to make a living mm-hmm. and how to take care of somebody. Yeah. Seems like things th- later on life you approach it the same way. All yeah. right? I can't figure it out how some, like normal people do it, so mm-hmm. I'm going to improvise it. Oh yeah. And you made it work. Absolutely. And I also I had to move around schools a lot. Uh, living with a mom like that and stuff like that always moving from town to town in Washington wasn't very far and then like even when I moved to California with my dad when my dad decided that it was not right for me to live in Washington under that 
you know, sort of environment. Right. My dad was like, you're going to come live with me. What, what line of work was he doing at this time? My dad's a photographer. Ha- has been and always will be. Okay. Uh, he's, uh, yeah. And, and he hears about the, the issues you had in Washington with yeah. your mother? Uh-huh. And he'd been seeing me, like, almost every summer. He would fly me out to California to go spend, you know, a few weeks with them and stuff like that. Um, but th- at this point, he wanted to. He felt like he needed to claim some responsibility, like instead of just child support and stuff like that. Right. Um, so I ended up coming to live in California, and even here we moved around in different school districts. So I had to go to a couple different schools, and I never really met a solid group of friends until I went to Ida Price and Brandon because those two schools connected. Right. But so I, was, I always had to make new friends. How about your bl- blind brother? Did he come with you? No, no. See, we have two different dads. Um, was was that hard leaving him? Yeah. Um, in retrospect, it's it was hard. At the time, I didn't really value that relationship, right? Because well, they I didn't I wasn't there to know him. Right. Two years after he was born, I took off pretty much, um, and we would see each other at like different family gatherings and stuff like that. Um, but in retrospect, I I. I I feel guilty for sure just because I was not I was not around during the formative years when he probably could have used some like brotherly advice and stuff like that um I felt like I could have been there and a little bit more supportive but we're cool now we talk like almost every every week to two weeks and stuff like we catch up he's about to graduate high school uh, right now do you feel that instilled uh something in you to be very uh compassion towards others be more brotherly towards others oh yeah yeah oh yeah especially because he's handicapped and you kind of gotta help him out and go out it's not like you're really going out of your way but you want to do it yeah you are going out of the way because you would like to do it um and so i'm not above like you know when you see an old person fall everyone does that louis ck does a joke about this actually he's like when everybody kind of hesitates and they look at each other like who's going to be the good samaritan there i'm nine times out of ten i'm usually that dude going to go pick up the old lady the other people are like oh she's got it she'll get up (laughs) she's got a cane but yeah that's that's a that's a bit louis ck does a little bit about that and so one of my favorite but that's how i how i view it do you still keep in touch with your mother no. no you know what um she went man this is crazy i haven't talked about this in a while but i'm glad that i'm doing it right now actually this is cool um whatever you're comfortable with man oh yeah uh just not in the, i've never done it in public form she got arrested when i was a senior in high school so i was just about to graduate she got picked no it was the year after i graduated so 2010 she got arrested from driving for driving from Washington to Mexico, picking up five pounds of heroin wow. and two illegal immigrants. Huh. Made it back over Mexico lines. Wow. Past California lines, got stopped at a truck at a traffic stop in Medford, Oregon, because they were smoking weed in the car with five pounds of heroin. The dog smelled the weed, one thing led to another. She's busted with five pounds of heroin and two illegal immigrants. That's crazy. She didn't caught. She didn't get caught the border. She got caught in Medford. <laughs> made it all the way. So not. So she decided that she was gonna play, you know, tough macho lady because she didn't want. A, I guess I think she didn't want to be killed by the by the people. She was doing this for free drugs. Got she it. was not doing this for money. Got it. Um. So I'm pretty sure the people who are having her do this were dangerous people, so to speak. So she didn't want to get killed or stabbed. You know, snitches get stitches, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so she didn't give anybody up. So they slapped. This is her first criminal offense ever. Never had a criminal record, really. Uh, she got in, slapped with uh, and 
tend to sell distribution, manufacturing, and international drug smuggling. That is on our permanent record, which I think kind of sounds cool in a sense. Yeah, like, yeah interna- my mom was an international, international drug, drug smuggler. smuggler. It's official. <laughs> it's fucking official. There's a document and everything. Oh, I no. feel kind of cool being able to say yeah. that, but it's just so fucking sad. Yeah. Um, but so she went away for five, six and a half years, something like that, five or so. Um, at a, a federal or is it minimum security minimum prison security. but an all like women's colony okay. weird thing I, I visited her once while she was in prison like me and my buddy took a road trip to go drove from San Luis to Bispo to Washington and uh, went to go see her and that was a surreal experience they kicked me out because I was wearing jeans and I didn't know you can't wear like dark jeans in a prison setting why not because all the inmates wear jeans but I was like I'm in a women's prison <laughs> Like, there's no way you're going to mistake me. And then I went into the women's prison when they let me back in when I had sweatpants on. There are women that look like me. Wow. Like, (laughs) yeah, like Chaz Bono. Wow. (laughs) Like, and I look like Chaz Bono with a shaved beard. That's fascinating. (laughs) It's not. But, yeah, so she went away and um, she got out on some good behavior and she was in a halfway house. And one of my uh, great uncles died or whatever. My grandmother's brothers died. And she skipped her pro- probation and ended up just driving to California, which you can't do. Right. Probation. She can't leave the state. Um, and called me, ended up getting a bunch of phone calls from police in Medford because I was the last person she called. she called. So they're like, where's your mom at? And I was like, I don't know. Now they're like, I got police asking me questions. I got a clean slate, dude. I don't have any sort of criminal record on me. Um, so I got really pissed. I called her. I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Like... You're definitely. I know it's family and everything like that, but every everything has a time and a place. You know, you can grieve another time or do it in your own way. You just can't do that, and so especially dragging me into the whole thing. So that left a huge sour taste in my mouth after she was, and then she ended up using again mm. after she was out and all that stuff. So um, while she was in prison, I wasn't really talking to her to begin with. I wasn't writing her at all. I didn't actually talk to her the entire time she was there um, for that five to six years yeah, well, there's that bit of anger yeah right. but when she came to the funeral we talked and she pretended like nothing ever happened like we were she was more like a best friend that's how I always describe it she was yeah. she wasn't a mom when we were growing up but she was a really cool friend right she she yeah would smoke weed in the house I'd get contact high and stuff like that just like a badass friend if you want to call it that um so yeah when I saw her at the funeral she pretended like nothing ever happened and then I was like you know what fuck this and forget you like if you're not willing to grow up and change um, then I don't want this relationship to work and my brother did not feel the same way as I did mm-hmm. then he's starting to see it now but from what I hear she's getting better she's got a job at a, uh, a warehouse she does shipping so like I think it's like an Amazon warehouse so whatever uh, gets shipped out she puts all the addresses makes all the order forms and stuff like that I think that's very, very important for anybody going through rehab is to feeling productive without the use of drugs oh of course yeah and that's what everybody kind of struggles to do with you know um, especially coming out of that kind of background but I just told myself if I'm going to continue that relationship she's got to have all that shit put together she's got to have her own it's kind of like you know having a kid she's got to have her own place she's yeah gotta you know have her shit together she's not fucked up on drugs so i know that we're having a real conversation or whatever i i have double standards i don't consider like weed drugs or anything like that i'm talking about like hard stuff like yeah cocaine and heroin and stuff yeah i hear you man that's fascinating and in some levels all this experience fuels your creativity would you say oh yeah um for senior for senior 
a psychology project where you're supposed to like do something about fear I, f I feel like it was and it didn't have to d be like anything specific it could be whatever you wanted about fear so I did I wrote a song on my guitar called my heroine which you know double play on words heroin and heroin yeah and stuff like that and it was about my mom that's pretty good yeah it was, and um it was a really emotional song uh i made my teacher cry mm -hmm. and i wrote it and like took me all of like 10 minutes to write the song the words just kept like i was thinking about it i was like what am i really scared of oh my mom dying because she can't get her shit together so i just started writing on the page and it took me 10 minutes to put together a song what should have been a month-long project was what it was supposed to be. It took me ten minutes. I was done because it's so ingrained in you. Oh, that's yeah. why. Because it's a subject you're very, very familiar exactly. with. Exactly. Um, but you know, I love my mom. It's the only mom I got, and stuff like that. Right. Uh, she's actually where I get most of my music talent. She sing. She used to sing a lot. She used to have a oh. very beautiful voice. So there's creativity in your house, in your family. Ish, yeah. The music-wise, nobody played a fucking instrument. Except for like my grandpa Roy, but he died before I was your, born. Your father's a photographer. Photographer. It takes creativity. I, and then your mother was a singer. I got a, yeah, I got a lot of my music taste from my dad though, because when I moved here, my mom. <laughs> it's so weird. My my brother and I grew up in almost the same house, in the same kind of upbringing with my mom, but she was in a hip hop phase when I was with her. So I would listen to old Dirty Bastards. You crank that in the car, mm. and I would be like four years old listening to ODB, and Wu Tang Clan. Awesome. There you go super rad and then when uh, she had my brother and she had him she went through like a heavy metal like tool phase yeah like and all that other cool stuff well, the system of a down she was just, so my brother's super into that hates hip hop I tolerate metal I like metal and stuff like that and thrash but I love hip hop way more than I do that but and then to force um, to enforce that instill that in me when I moved in with my dad my dad was all about the beastie boys there uh, you go. fishbone which is a little nice awesome ska band if you've ever heard of them um you know tribe called quest de la soul all that shit my dad was playing for me and then blues tunes and of course and that's what got me interested in rhythm and blues and then on brass instruments and so on and so forth wow uh, that was actually my next question to to tra to go over um transition over which is who were who were some of your influences Oh man, that's in music. Like, that's a crazy. Anybody will tell you the same thing. It's the w hardest thing to answer. Um, well, I think you already said a couple of them. Yeah, which is your parents' taste in music. Yeah, my parents like Beastie Boys for sure. Yeah. Love them. Fishbone. I have a Fishbone tattoo behind my ear. Oh. Uh, behind my right ear. I love them so. It's my my dad and my favorite band that we share together. Um, who else? I was. You ever hear of Mojo Nixon? Hmm. Mojo Nixon was kind of like Weird Al, but like way out there. He had this song called Elvis is Everywhere, and it was this this rockabilly song. And it was like this weird metaphysical spiritual song about Elvis. But like, Elvis is in your jeans. Elvis is in Nutty Buddies. He's in everything, man. He's in everybody. Um, <laughs> and, and like the one line in the song is like, who built the pyramids? Elvis. Who built Stonehenge? Elvis. And it was the weirdest thing. Had a bunch of other weird songs. I listened to that CD more times than I could fucking count for some reason I just thought it was so odd and of course Weird Al so I started writing like comedy songs on my guitar that's where I started and I think that's where I'm gonna evolve to if I'm gonna do some more comedy and get somewhat more serious about that I think I'm gonna do the whole guitar singing funny songs instead of telling jokes because I suck at telling <laughs> jokes man I just can't get the time I tell stories 
Right. And those are kind of funny. Like, um, I won't get too much into that, but um, I, I do like the storytelling form because the stories in my life are kind of funny and stuff like that. My brother and I used to play a game because he's blind called Hide and Go Fuck Yourself. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> now keep in mind that, that my brother wanted to play hide and go seek. It was not me that wanted to initiate this. But I am the older brother, so there's you know definite hazing involved. Right. Uh, I would come up on the side of him, walk next to him, and slap him on the other side of the face. So I was on his left side, so I'd slap the right side of his face, and I'd say sucker punch, and then he'd turn around and say, "It's always a sucker punch. I can never see it coming." <laughs> You asshole. See, it seems like your brother has a good sense of humor. Oh, man. The best. He's like, oh, he's very selfish. Smartest kid I know. We were at a family friend's football game once. We were, I was visiting in Washington, and he stands right up in front of me in the bleachers, and I say, Nathaniel, I can't see. Just turns around and says, you can't see. And just has the total good sense of humor about it. And, you know, he's actually the one who told me the Helen Keller jokes. Like, I yeah. never knew those jokes until he actually started telling me about them. Right. His little blind friends collaborate and think that's he, So really he's funny. pretty creative himself. Yeah, absolutely. He tried taking up trumpet and stuff like that. But my grandma made him quit because he kept emptying the spit valve onto the floor. And she couldn't deal with that for some reason. I called her, which is common. I called her up and chewed her out for it. Actually, I was oh, like, "Did you? What are you thinking? Like, he's learning an instrument, and you're gonna freak out about a little spit? He's blind. Put a fucking puppy cloth underneath him, a puppy pad or something. He won't know. He won't. He, he will not. <laughs> he will not. But getting back to the hide and go fuck yourself story. I hide in my grandmother's closet. You know when kids, you know, you get behind the clothes and stuff like that. I think you're being sneaky. And I was like, this kid's never going to find me in a million years. He's blind. I'm in a dark closet. I'm behind clothes. The game over. Right. You know, find me in 25 minutes kind of thing. But he walks down the hallway. I hear him thumping along. He opens the door. And I was like, oh, shit, he's getting close. Pushes the clothes apart right where I'm standing and puts his hand right on my fucking face. And he goes, I found you. And I was like, how is that even fucking possible? Like, what is wrong with you? And he goes, you breathe like a fat kid. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. It was like my favorite story. So I tell stories like that on stage and everything like that. But I think I'm going to evolve it more into like a a musical comedy style because, you know, music is my wheelhouse. So I think it'll put me in a more comfortable spot. Patrick, it's been great talking to you. We passed an hour. Oh, wow. We're here. Uh, I think we, we're going to end off with the, with the beatbox Oh, yeah, uh, we can do a little song, beatbox, right? absolutely. Do a little, a little something, a little freestyle. Okay. I like to do covers a lot, so I do like.
Thanks, man. Yeah. This thanks. is really cool having you on this. The show is really cool. Thank I love you, your man. setup. I love everything about it. Definitely love to be back. And it was a pleasure. Thank you. Have you here? And I hope to have you back as well. Absolutely, man. Anytime.